Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast, where we explore the exciting science behind heart rate variability. The material discussed in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Please check with your medical provider to make sure any suggestions or strategies are right for you. Visit us at the OptimalHRV.com website to learn more about the Optimal HRV app, download a free copy of Matt's book, Heart Rate Variability, and also get show notes and additional resources around heart rate variability and its applications. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt. I am back here with Dr. Dave Hopper and Dr. Ina Kazan to continue our Vegas Madness series. So if you didn't listen to the first episode in this series, please go back and listen to it. Uh, Dave did an amazing job of talking about the biology of the vagal nerve, the the parasympathetic, sympathetic interactions uh, going on in our system and how he looks at that from the chiropractic uh, medical perspective is how that really impacts our overall health. The other great thing that Dave gave us is a lot of great little biohacks to improve the functioning of the vagus nerve. Uh, like I said, in, in the mental health arena, never thought I would think about suggesting people gargle every day. And there's these great things that we can do. So in this episode, I wanna shift to mental health because one of the things that I think is so fascinating as somebody who's been, uh, whether I was in school or not for about 25 years in the mental health profession, um, I wasn't, you know, I, we never talked about cranial nerves. I didn't even necessarily knew we had cranial nerves until a few years ago. And now these things seem to be playing such a powerful role, uh, not just in the health of our nervous system, but how that manifests in our mental health as well. And luckily, uh, Dr. Ina Kazan is a amazing expert on this topic. So Ina, I would love for you to uh, start us off by, by uh, talking about vagal break, uh, you know, this balance between parasympathetic and sympathetic, and how this all kind of manifests itself into our mental health. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. So um, pretty amazing how, you know, the, these two little nerves make such a huge difference when it comes to our mental health as well as our physical health. Um, and the reason for that is because the vagal nerve um, is what's primarily responsible for our ability to regulate ourselves or uh, something called self-regulation. Um, self-regulation applies um, to many aspects, um, you know, both phys against physiologically and emotionally, but we'll start with the autonomic nervous system, right? So that autonomic, the autonomic nervous system is um, the one that, you know, is typically responsible for those automatic processes that we don't need to think about in order for them to, you know, for them to work, like your heart rate and your breathing and your lung function and your kidney function and then, you know, all those. Um, so your autonomic nervous system is divided into the sympathetic, which is the stress um, activation part of your nervous system and the uh, parasympathetic, which is the relaxation part of the nervous system. And interestingly enough, it is the parasympathetic nervous system that is um, the real um, regulator when it comes to our activation. Um, the sympathetic nervous system <clears throat> does not have a built-in shutoff mechanism. It just kind of goes up 
Uh, and what puts on the brakes is the parasympathetic nervous system. So as your sympathetic goes up, the parasympathetic comes on and puts on the brakes uh, when your activation has reached its optimal level. You know, whatever level of activation you need for, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. You know, if you are running a 400 meter dash, you're going to need a lot of activation. You know, if you are, you know, talking to a bunch of really good friends online, you know, you're going to need not quite so much activation. But uh, the point is that um, the, it is the parasympathetic nervous system that regulates our ability to reach that optimal level of regulation. And the vagal nerve comprises about 85% of our parasympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic uh, you know, nervous system you know, and the vagal nerve are pretty much interchangeable. And, you know, that's probably how we are going to talk about it, uh, you know, in, the, in this episode. So the vagal tone refers to the ability of the parasympathetic nervous system to regulate our activation. All right, so this is you know on the on the physiological side, um, and you know you might be wondering, well, what the, what the heck does that have to do with our mental health? Uh, but it turns out that so much of our mental health here has to do with that very basic ability to regulate our physiology. You know, if you think about it, that activation, right? You know, if if, um, if you experience moments of anxiety that's hard to control, it's the sympathetic nervous system that comes up, and the parasympathetic is having trouble putting on the brake. So sympathetic just kind of keeps breaking through and the parasympathetic is not able to regulate that activation. Uh, or, you know, if you've ever, you know, had a really important challenge, um, you know, maybe a big performance or an important game or something like that, and, you know, you get there and you're just super jittery and, you know, you just can't make yourself, you know, get into that optimal zone. Um, it's the same thing, um, you know, where the sympathetic um, activation comes up and the parasympathetic is not able to put on the brakes appropriately. Um, you know, similar things happen with conditions like depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, um, and as, as well as, you know, kind of more traditionally physiologically based conditions like chronic pain and headaches and high blood pressure, uh, all of them have a physical and an emotional component. Um, and all of that is regulated by your parasympathetic uh, nervous system. Awesome. You know, quite a bit of research recently, actually, you know, just, you know, looking at something like depression, right? And it turns out that, again, the parasympathetic nervous system, a strong parasympathetic nervous system is really important in our ability to recover from things like depression and trauma. So, so Dave, I want to throw it to you because I, I historically, and as a non-educated or a person who's gone to a chiropractor a few times in my life, uh, appreciate what you do. I guess I never considered really that I would go to a chiropractor and I might, as a benefit, improve my mental health as well. So, so I'm interested as, as this research, which I, has been there for, for decades, but I think is really coming to the surface in a new way. I, I just kind of wonder how your field uh, sort of looks at the mental health aspect of, of what Ina is talking about here. So Matt, somebody coming in, uh, you know, um, uh, we, we have a lot of patients who come in who are, you know, also have something going on like anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, and we would never we would never say that we treat or or take care of those types of things, um, but as a benefit of increasing the function of your autonomic nervous system, um, and helping with regulation of that system, you do see that spillover effect of okay, wow, now I can I can handle 
my anxiety better. Yeah. You know, um, you're finding that you don't, you know, that you don't have such a strong reaction to things that you once did. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what we get from, from the chiropractic end. Now it's, uh, you know, it's not going to be the same as what, you know, um, what Ina is going to be, uh, doing or talking about because now we are providing that input to your system. We are allowing the system to do what it is doing. Now, what I think is really cool is that, um, and, and this is, you know, you guys know, I work with uh, the OTs and speech therapists, mm -hmm. physical therapists, is that it, somebody like Ina is going to give a tool that, okay, now we have this system that can function like this. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the tool on how to regulate that. So now, you know, um, so that's a, that's another part of it that is, you know, just amazing. Um, and we want to be able to attack things from both ends. And that's where um, working with people like, you know, uh, like the occupational therapists that I work with and, not, and whatnot, um, where you, you got to have both. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a regulation standpoint is what we are helping provide, but from a totally different end. Awesome. And then that was the, the OTs really taught me that earlier on in my career is, boy, a bouncy chair, a little thing that makes you kind of wiggle your butt on your chair and you got to kind of focus on that headphones to block out. That sensory piece was such a, especially with my work in special education, from a mental health perspective, if we didn't figure that out, uh, I really did not have a whole heck of a lot to offer. So like, I, I would just joke that I was an OT tech, even though I was running the school. It's like, until we did figure out like the sensory part of it, you know, my mental health interventions were, I, I won't say useless, but I wasn't getting much mileage on it. And that was, you know, I, I think such a big uh, thinking for me. I was just so lucky to have that, you know, gosh, about 20 years ago uh, to, to really set a foundation for, for moving forward. So, you know, I, I, I want to nerd out a little bit on this because I think sometimes you know, and I'm guilty of this as a trainer, is we need to simplify things in order to communicate them in a short period of time. Um, and, and I'm wondering, I do this with the brain all the time, because if you don't have like three years to talk about the brain, you're going to simplify something along the way. And, and I've got a few questions here. Uh, and I got, I got a world-class expert on the podcast to talk to this about, which I'm really excited is, so one is like, I'm struggling with the sympathetic system, always getting the stress label and always getting the fight or flight. And it seems like, you know, because I think what that simplification does in some ways is that it's bad. Like, like the, the sympathetic is just gets you in trouble. It's like the amygdala gets you in trouble. And I wonder if, if the question's even a meaningful question, you know, how could maybe we look at this as, hey, your sympathetic keeps you alive, uh, whether you're in a high stress situation or just us right now. So is there, is my, I guess, is my question a good one or at least one to talk about? And two, can we kind of look at maybe this is not just a bad thing, but, but something that's more integrated into our total being? What a great, great question. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, you, you, you are, you are so right. There is, 
nothing bad about the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, yeah, it keeps us alive. It keeps us functioning. Uh, I mean, if I, you know, if my sympathetic nervous system wasn't functioning properly, I'd be asleep under the desk right now. Right. <laughs> so that's, you know, yeah, it's incredibly important. Uh, and you're right. We don't talk enough about um, just how important it is and how, you know, and that it's a, it's a normal, healthy great thing uh, to have. Um, and it, it, it just like the, your comparison with the amygdala, right? You know, imagine, you know, somebody doesn't have an amygdala, um, right? Or, you know, people whose amygdala is actually smaller than others, uh, you know, the so-called, you know, fearless people, yeah. you know, they tend to not live very long. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right? um, yeah, again, amygdala serves a very important function, even though, yes, it does have that side effect of, uh, you know, uh, being involved in anxiety, which, you know, we as human beings don't like very much and would like to get rid of. Um, and then we don't think about, well, what exactly would that mean? And mm -hmm. it's the same thing with the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, it's involved in anxiety, uh, which we don't like, but, oh boy, this is not something you want to get rid of. Right. So th the point here is not to, you know, get rid of the sympathetic nervous system uh, and, you know, just be parasympathetic. Well, that's not going to work. Um, the, the idea is to be well regulated, right? So the sympathetic nervous system is designed to increase your activation. Um, and, you know, again, your excellent point that you're making, we're talking about as a stress system, but it's really it's your activation system. Uh, it's the part of the body that enables you to rise to whatever level of, you know, physiological and emotional activation you need. Um, so the sympathetic activation uh, goes up. And then, yes, that we do need to parasymp parasympathetic to come on and help regulate that activation. So both parts of the system are important, um, but there will be nothing to regulate <laughs> without, the, without the sympathetic. Um, so right. uh, absolutely, incredibly important. And so when we talk about heart rate variability, um, I, I want to kind of save, though it's so hard, I, I, breathing adds a big part of this and we can touch on that. that that's a whole episode in and of itself. But but what I, what I think we're seeing, but but I'd love to get your your more your more technical uh, piece of this is in some ways I, I see variability, and this is where I struggle with the fight or flight just label on the sympathetic system is like, you know, on one hand we we have a a good I guess good there there's my highly technical word a a strong activation of the sympathetic which which kind of and again correct me here I'm looking for correction is. You've got the energy you need to bring to your life, so you get you get that that heart rate going up. But then you've got the strong uh, vagal break on that, which shows you know. And your book does a great job of this that you've got good prefrontal cortex ventral vagal activation. So you've got the emotional regulation, which is so central to cognitive functioning, social relationships. Is that am I am I somewhat on target with, with that way of thinking about it? Um, absolutely. Yes. So your, your um, vagal nerve not only regulates your um, you know, physiological activation through the autonomic nervous system, but it absolutely has projections you know, into the prefrontal cortex, and it has a lot to do with emotional regulation. Um, and this is something that we're learning more and more about really like pretty much uh, every day. There is new yeah. research coming out 
um, you know, the last few years uh, of just, you know, how important the vagal nerve is, you know, for the functioning uh, of the brain. Um, and then as far as that, you know, interplay of sympathetic and parasympathetic, you know, um, as we uh, breathe in, um, the parasympathetic break with the vagal break kind of comes off, allowing the sympathetic activation to go up and kind of reaching that level that we need. Uh, and then once that, you know, we've, once we're there, the vagal break comes back on and allows that activation to uh, come on down. So as you as your heart rate increases, that's the vagal break coming off. And as your heart rate decreases, that's your vagal break coming back, coming back on. Um, and that's that um, interplay that um, allows us to keep, you know, regulating and keep, uh, keep being flexible, right? You know, increasing and decreasing our activation as necessary. Um, and as that activation is continuously adjusted, um, it, you know, because we, we are in a, um, in a range of, you know, different level of activation, right? And the higher your heart variability, the greater that range, the more flexible we end up being, you know, to what, uh, to the demands of whatever might come our way, right? You know, if with high heart variability, we can pretty easily move from, you know, sitting at our desk, you know, sipping coffee to, you know, solving an unexpected, you know, really big problem or, uh, you know, strolling along and suddenly realizing why I'm late and, you know, you know, being able to make a sprint for, you know, whatever it is that we're going. Going. So the ability to, you know, change our level of activation very, very quickly, um, both physiologically and emotionally, um, has a lot to do with uh, um, heart variability and that greater range of activation uh, that our body is constantly uh, allowing to happen. Awesome. So, so Dave, I, I got a question for you I've been dying to ask. So for, for a significant part of your life, you decided to lock yourself in a cage with a human being that pretty much is capable of killing you. Um, so so you, you, you made the logical choice to put yourself in a cage with a human being who's trained to kill you in multiple different ways. I know that's not the end outcome anybody I don't think wants in this, but, but, but as an MMA fit in, again, I, I, I've thought a lot about this. If I had this knowledge as a college athlete and you took this to, to a stage, and MMA is interesting to me because there is no flight response, right? So, so what I've learned about that that fight or flight response, usually we want to run away because if there is a dude and that could kill me in many ways, and I was there to fight the dude, I'd probably want to run as fast as I could. Would be you like, nope, we're in a cage, can't get out. And I wonder, like, I just try to put myself in that position mentally because physically, I would never want to do that to myself. Uh, for many reasons. Uh, but I, I kind of wonder how you look at this because I would imagine as an MMA fighter, you want to be strategic to some extent. So you want that parasympathetic response, but it all seems uh, sympathetic and fight. So I would love, and you can bring this into your professional work later on as well, but I, I just love to ask you as somebody who put yourself, I guess, in a purely sympathetic fight kind of environment. How do you look at all this in your, your professional career as an MMA fighter? Um, so, uh, so yes, uh, f former, right. Uh, quite, quite a bit. <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. I, yeah. Um, and, uh, much younger and possibly much, uh, much less brains, <laughs> but, um, Anyway, I, this is one of those things I, you know, and, and I'm glad because, you know, as you were saying, um, you know, about, about this is what healthy looks like. This is what a, uh, a well-functioning HRV, you know, uh, can do, how adaptable, how flexible you are. 
And uh, and something that I was thinking, oh, we need to mention what dorsal vagal mode would yeah. look like and what somebody with a low functioning HRV when you when you don't have that flexibility. And actually, uh, Matt, this, this kind of can tie it all together um, because most people who were going to get into a fight, this is a very scary thing. Potentially the most scary thing that would happen to you in your life or, you know, and on a, you know, aside from maybe a car accident or, you know, a house fire or something like that. Um, and, and for most people, they aren't going to have any kind of ability to access that, that prefrontal cortex. Um, they are going to go into that full dorsal vagal mode where you are literally just fighting, running, right. Um, or, or possibly, you know, uh, just shutting down completely. Uh, and, and as I would say, uh, pooping yourself, uh, you know, or something like that. Um, so, so there would be no logical thought. Now that's where it's so important. Um, like what we do is practice, you know, uh, practice with anything. Um, cause the first time that you are exposed to any kind of a stressor, um, it is very high activation for your body. The second time you're exposed to that same stressor, it's lower. And the third time, even less. Until eventually, this thing that was so scary is now just something that happens every day. And this, is, this has become normal to you. Um, so that's essentially what, what we're doing in practice is, you know, I, since, I, geez, I think I started boxing at like 12 years old. Um, you know, and prior, uh, well, and I played ice hockey, uh, you know, growing up and everything too, which uh, is basically fighting, uh, with skates on. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, the, the combative, that highly competitive, um, mode was always something that I was, uh, I was doing that was not unfamiliar at all. Um, and, and then just taking it to the next level. Well, for somebody who's, who's trained in it, who does it every single day, this is nothing. This is just what we do every single day. So to go in and have a very strategic thought, to have a very strategic game plan is extremely possible. It's no different to me than it would be, uh, you know, for, for most people to go into the gym and lift weights. Um, now, granted, if I did that today, I think I might have a totally different reaction, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's where, that's where it is. You know, we get that attenuation from, from continuous exposure to the same stress. Our body essentially stops reacting, um, in that in that hyper responsive way and we can actually start to think about it and have a real game plan um and that's the biggest thing you know uh you see um it, you would never meet a professional fighter of any kind who is a mean person um it's just it doesn't really happen um and it's and it's weird um but it is because we i guess we have uh we've all learned to regulate ourselves to such a level um that that you kind of just stop responding to things that would get most people angry. Just be like, okay, man, that's cool. <laughs> and that's kind of how, uh, how most of them are. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's essentially what it is, is continuous exposure to the same stressor until it becomes a, uh, an everyday thing. And, uh, and I, you know, I think you guys could probably uh, talk a whole lot more about that on how that might happen in a negative sense as well. Um, where people are exposed to, you know, abusive spouses, um, where people are exposed to, you know, um, uh, other, other not so awesome things in life until it becomes just normal, you know, and I, I know that's partially what plays into PTSD and all that kind of stuff too. Um, so yeah, but from, from my standpoint, that's where we are at. Uh, and yeah, that hyper responsiveness does you absolutely no good. We always say that, um, the last thing you want to do when you're fighting is be emotional in any way. 
Yeah. That, that loses you the fight really quick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I imagine that this is, you know, for you, you know, that par parasympathetic, strong parasympathetic nervous system played a huge role in the ability to be that well regulated. You know, so, I think it's, you know, particularly in situations where your activation needs to be that high for such prolonged periods of time, and you still need to be able to think. You can't just be in that, you know, kind of what we typically think of as fight or flight, you know, just completely automatic, you know, kind of place, because that doesn't give you the ability to turn on your prefrontal cortex and think through what's going on. So I suspect that, you know, your strong and, you know, high heart durability um, enabled you to be at the high level of sympathetic activation while still being able to, you know, activate the proper parts of your brain and regulate yourself emotionally, as well as regulate yourself physically and not just, you know, go to, you know, as, as high as your sympathetic is gonna go because that's probably that wasn't what you needed absolutely absolutely and i, I would have loved to have known what my hrv was back then that yeah <laughs> awesome so so you know i want to so so we talked about you know some of the the a deeper kind of definition of of the sympathetic i, I think we could probably say the same thing i, I think the ventral vagal often gets rest and digest and again it just seems like way i don't even know if they're the right yeah you do digest your food uh when, when you're regular but there's like a lot you know from the mental health perspective there seems to like the social engagement cognitive all these other things going on i, I do because i think another a, a little bit of a, a a question that comes out of this is you know, and, and Dave brought up the, the dorsal vagal, uh, that, that second branch of, of the vagus uh, nerve. And, you know, I, I, I sort of wonder, like, you know, because there, there's that phenomenon that sometimes I'll have where I'll have uh, low heart rate, but also low heart rate variability. And usually it's around exhaustion. It's like I have a late flight home after training somewhere for five straight days. I'm feeling happy, but I'm also tired. And then I get this horrible HRV score, even though my heart rate's not that high. So, so I, I want to bring this part uh, from the mental health perspective. They've talked about the shutdown or freeze response, but I, I'd love to get your, your thinking on this as well. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to co come right back to the concept of self-regulation. Um, you know, we do typically think of sympathetic and parasympathetic as stress and relaxation. And I introduced it that way too. Um, and that's actually not a helpful way to look at it um, because, um, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system is so much more than just relaxation. I mean, yes, uh, it's necessary for resting. Yes, it's necessary for digestion. So the rest of digest, yes, it's a part of it, but it's just, uh, it's just a part of it. And we really need to remember, um, you know, the whole spectrum um, of, uh, you know, of functioning here, um, you know, a parasympathetic nervous system that's not functioning well, um, it, you know, underlies depression, right? Where, you know, people are continuously feeling just, um, you know, exhausted, you know, physically and emotionally, you know, not interested in much of anything where their mood is really down. Um, and it's really hard for them to motivate themselves to, you know, to do things, you know, sometimes as supposedly simple as getting out of bed um, to um, things like, um, 
you know, getting out and seeing friends or, um, you know, participating in hobbies or, you know, getting, getting their work done. So you would seem like, well, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system is too strong or something. Um, and again, that's not the case. Uh, this, the situation there is that, you know, people who have depression tend to have lower heart rate variability um, and they tend to have a low vagal tone, meaning that the parasympathetic nervous system, the vagal nervous, having trouble regulating activation in general. Because, uh, you know, just like, you know, uh, Dr. Dave, when he needed to activate to that super high level, he needed a strong parasympathetic nervous system in order to be able to do that. It's the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, days when we're just kind of feeling really, really blah. Um, you know, we need a strong parasympathetic nervous system in order to be able to get out um, of that state. So when you when you were talking specifically about depression, so because I again I think our oversimplification we we miss this a little bit, which I appreciate this deep dive. So so we're not necessarily talking about an overly strong ventral vagal response, but we're also not seeing I don't think an overactive sympathetic reaction too. So so this phenomenon that, that I, I believe is pretty common for what I've seen, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of, you know, folks that, that are struggling to have the energy that they need, uh, you know, with, with depression. And I know that that's just one of the many, many symptoms um, of depression. So, so if it's not an over vagal reaction, I guess, suppressing, and there's not a overactive sympathetic, is this where the, the dorsal vagal sort of comes into play here? And sort of well, what's going on uh, bi biologically that, that kind of manifests in that mental health condition? Yeah. Well, uh, for, for one thing, uh, the overall um, heart rate variability uh, is low, right? And that includes, you know, heart rate variability has the sympathetic and the parasympathetic components, right? So, uh, you know, the whole thing is just low, right? So the person is not able to activate properly. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the two branches, you know, of the, of the vagal nerve, um, the nervous system is not able to recruit its healthiest uh, coping mechanisms, right? And kind of um, in when the um, that higher level uh, response, right? You know, of reaching out to people at times of stress, reaching out for social support. Um, you know, when that is, you know, when that fails or when that's not available for uh, whatever reason, oftentimes having to do with past experiences, sometimes having to do with present experiences, then we, you know, we retreat to that um, more uh, basic uh, level of functioning. Um, and, um, you know, that's where, um, you know, we can sometimes get stuck and that's where your heart variability is low and, you know, your sympathetic activation is not doing particularly well, neither is your parasympathetic um, activation. So, you know, you're not, you know, you're not feeling, you're not feeling safe, right? You know, as much as uh, anxiety is all about not feeling safe, depression is uh, not about not feeling safe as well. If you think about it from the evolutionary standpoint, um, it's going to, it's a, your body's way of kind of making you hide um, until you can regain a sense of safety. And when that's happening in a you know, in a scary situation, that's great. That's what should happen. But when it happens for a day or two, that's okay. You know, we recover from that easily. Mm -hmm. uh, but when that's happening, uh, and, and uh, actually sometimes it can happen when we have been overdoing it, right? If you've been, uh, you know, overtraining or over traveling or overworking or over, you know, over anything, you know, just, you know, doing too much, the body at some point is going to be like, wait a second, right? We really need to, um, 
get back to some basics here, right? You know, we need to retreat a little bit. So that can be okay too. The problem comes becomes when it, this is this this becomes a chronic condition, right? When we're in that, you know, I'm not safe. I need to hide. Uh, there is no like, you know, real danger. And I kind of know that, but I still feel like I need to hide because, you know, coming out of that hiding spot um, seems incredibly dangerous. So that that's, uh, um, that's where we get in trouble. And the good news is that heart variability training, heart variability by feedback can help people get out of that. As I mentioned earlier, lots of really great research recently in particular um, showing that heart variability by feedback, even, even just by itself, it's best with some uh, therapy, uh, but even just by itself is helpful uh, in symptoms of depression. And, and so Dave, I, I kind of wanted to just, and, and this is just kind of out of curiosity, if you see somebody maybe coming to you with more anxiety or, and, or, you know, or more depression, do you, do you at all customize your approach uh, for, for that in, individual? Did you have different ways of thinking about how uh, you can help from, from your perspective, um, you know, kind of bring people maybe that are more anxious back into balance or more depressed back into balance? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, with, uh, with anybody regardless, um, but especially with people uh, you know, who, who are on one side of that spectrum, um, the approach in, in general is different, um, you know, and I think this is something that you guys understand. I, you, you get a feel for once you've been in practice uh, for a while that um, when somebody walks in, you can kind of, uh, you, you can, you can accept their energy and you can kind of start to, okay, um, it, you know, joking with this person is not going to go well, um, you know, it, um, you know, hands-on is not going to, is not going to go well. You know, you can see where these things might frighten this person. These things might send this person further away. Um, and, and the things that we want to be aware of as practitioners is, is that we're not making our patients put up a wall because that's going to, that's going to deteriorate the level of, uh, of services that we can provide to them. Um, so I do a, a I over explain what I'm doing. Um, I always ask permission when it's going to come time for uh, for touch palpation of any kind. Um, I uh, you know I never ask a patient to to expose themselves in any way or put themselves in any kind of a position where they might feel vulnerable um, because I know that these things, especially for somebody um, you know. I, who's having some emotional dysregulation that, that could set them, that could set them over the edge. And, and even if it didn't do that, it's going to make my therapy much less effective. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, and that's, that's my concern. I want to make sure that the way that I affect a patient, everything that happens to a patient when they are with me is only a positive experience. So that way they continue coming back. They continue to get good results. And then if I really see this as a major problem, they're going to take my advice when I say, when I say, hey, you know what, this is, this is something that we need to work with another professional on. And I want you to really take, a, you know, I really take this seriously and go, you know, uh, make an appointment with this person. And then they actually do it uh, because they really trust me. They know that I'm somebody that they can trust. Um, so it, yeah, that's, that's more um, my approach with that um, is, a, is just all, everything making them aware, comfortable. Excellent. Any, any any final words? Uh, I know I know we're getting to the wrap up point, but but I just want to like uh, on this sort of one hundred and one from you know the the mental health perspective. Is is there anything that uh, 
uh, I have missed and should have asked you along the way for us to better understand uh, this very complex, uh, again, I think way oversimplified in, in a lot of how we talk about, but anything else that, that you'd like our listeners to know and sort of this as we wrap up sort of this 101 introduction to the Vegas Nerve? I really think you, I think you got it. You asked, um, you know, all the most important questions. Um, I would probably just end with um, the thought of just how important it is to look at um, anything that's, you know, we traditionally think of mental health is very much mind-body related, right? You know, and the vagal nerve is an epitome of mind-body connection. It quite literally connects your mind and your body, right? Um, you know, it iterates, you know, you know, all the organs, you know, in your body, except for the adrenal glands, right? And it has projections, you know, into the brain and, you know, it works to regulate um, the mind and the body. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about depression or anxiety or PTSD or, you know, chronic pain and hypertension and, you know, headaches, people tend to put those into different buckets. This is physical, this is emotional, but really they all have the same um, underlying foundation. Yes, different manifestations, obviously different symptoms, different situations. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot that's unique to each one of those. Uh, but there are, um, you know, that underlying mind-body foundation is uh, uh, is the common thread. And I mean, that's, that's really important for us to pay attention to that. And this is where the vagal nerve comes in. Awesome wrap up here. And I, I just think it's so exciting. And, uh, you know, this journey that I've been on is we can quantify this now. Like, like it's like, as so much guesswork, I, I think historically, uh, from the mental health, I mean, the, the medical folks might have labs, I know they, they might have x-ray, you know, that there's like, you know, in the mental health field, I, I just always felt like I, I was a physician without, you know, any of those labs, any of the x-rays to, to really see where the person was at. But to me, the really exciting thing, whether I'm looking at my like in of one of myself or, or the work in mental health is we can quantify the impact of our treatment and our interventions uh, in, in a way that just, you know, wasn't really easy to do just a few years ago. So that, that's where I hope our, our listeners get excited with this with us because, uh, you know, we've got resident frequency, we've got biofeedback, we've got a lot of uh, respiratory science arrhythmia, a lot of things to continue this discussion uh, moving forward. And I also just like if, if the listeners didn't go back to some of uh, Dr. Dave's earlier episodes as well, as we go into some of the HRV basics around this stuff uh, with diet, exercise, those sort of things too. I think that's a great, if you haven't gone back there, those will fit in really good um, after this episode as well. So uh, Ina Dave, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot for this and I, I can't wait for our next discussion. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so good to talk to you as always.